You're listening to the Huddle Up Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up Podcast, presented, as always, by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports. I'm your host, Chad Jensen, and with me, as always, is your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, here we are, kind of a sleepy Monday, a little bit of Broncos news cooking with the owners' meetings and a few things we're going to talk about today that's kind of buzzed out of that, but how you doing today, brother? I'm good. I'm trying to wade through these smoke screens, though. I can't decipher what's what anymore, what's truth and what's lie with what Elway's saying and the things that are coming out. Chad, we're going to have a lot to talk about between now and the next month. No doubt. And even today, we do. It's it's kind of been a sleepy Monday, so to speak. But, you know, you guys are listening to this probably on Tuesday. But we still do have a lot to talk about, analyze, digest as we inch ever closer to the NFL draft. But first, let's just take care of the business really quick so we can dive into the analysis You guys, make sure you're following the show on Twitter. Really easy to do. Open up the app while you're listening to the podcast. Open up Twitter. Find at HuddleUpPod. Click the follow button. Props to you guys. You've really, there's kind of been a groundswell of listeners moving over there. We're well over the 1,000 mark for followers. So we appreciate you guys who have kind of migrated over and supported the show on Twitter. But if you haven't done that, you have a Twitter account, take care of that. Big help for us. Great way to support the show. And also, do your duty. Leave your creative review. Give us that five-star rating on iTunes. And even if it's not five-star, that's cool. Give us your feedback. We want to know what you think. Zach and I do take time, at least once a week, go through, read the reviews. It's a way that we keep our finger on the pulse of how you guys are digging the show. So that's important to us. But what it does for the Huddle Up podcast, when you leave a creative review and you give us a positive rating is it vaults us up the rankings. So if someone's on iTunes and they're going, you know what, I'm new to podcasts or I want to listen to something on my team, the Broncos, and they search, we're at the top instead of somebody else. That's one of the ways in which iTunes prioritizes those searches. So that's how you can help us on iTunes. Rate, review the show. Big way to support us. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. 
Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Zach, so let's dive into some of the topics for today. And let's start with, you brought it up, uh, the the smoke screens. Now, I published an article, both of us published articles actually on Monday regarding the quarterback situation as we get closer Mm -hmm. to the draft. The first one I published regarding the fact that the Broncos will now officially, they're bringing in all four of the big four quarterbacks for pre-draft visits. Now, most fans know that each NFL team is allotted 30 pre-draft visits in which teams can invite in a prospect to the facility where they can get a much closer evaluation of the player. They can put them on the whiteboard, walk them around the facility, have them meet other coaches, work them out, take them to dinner. So it gives teams a, a kind of a longer format in which to engage and, and evaluate these players. And we learned last week, Zach, that Drew Locke and Dwayne Haskins were going to come to Dove Valley. And then we found out, of course, that both Kyler Murray and Duke's Daniel Jones are also going to be among those 30. So we'll get more into it. But what was uh, your immediate gut reaction when you heard that despite the height thing that Elway talked about at the Combine, <laughs> they're bringing Kyler Murray in for a sniff? I'm I'm not surprised. He even said it himself that we're doing all our homework. And what was more eye-opening to me was that he followed that by saying, in case other teams want to potentially move up or if the Broncos want to move down. Again, it's like the devil and the angel on my shoulders. I want to believe maybe the Broncos are interested in a quarterback. Then I'm thinking it's a smokescreen and they want to take another player or potentially trade out of that spot. If you held a gun in my head right now, March 25th, we're a month away. I think as of now, if they're if their interest in Joe Flacco is genuine and nothing can be determined right now, but if it is, they will take a quarterback in the later rounds and bypass a Drew Locke or a Haskins in round one. Uh, but they are doing their due diligence. And that's what Elway does every single year, regardless of need. He's always going to bring in a quarterback, even if they have Peyton Manning. You always look for the next quarterback. You always look for the next bridge. And he might talk himself into believing that Flacco's in his prime, but he eventually they're going to need a quarterback. And whether that's a guy in this draft or the next draft, um, he has to make that determination. So he's going to keep wading through that pool until he finds a guy he really, really likes. The thing I keep coming back to, and I wrote about this on Monday, is the idea that I understand the temptation the Broncos have right now. They're they're gearing up, right, to compete and build around Flacco and kind of try and repeat or duplicate the model that worked so well when Peyton Manning came with John Fox invest in the defense you got a veteran quarterback now you know you got a, a good head coach that's experienced veteran x's and o's acumen is there let's go compete and let's go all in and so i understand the temptation that the broncos at pick 10 they don't necessarily you know it's not ideal to draft a quarterback there who's then going to sit on the sideline if mm. everything goes according to plan for all of 2019 right i mean he'd be sitting on the bench where as you know, an alternative, you could instead go with someone you can bring in right away to contribute on the defensive line, linebacker, the back end of the defense, 
bring in an impact offensive lineman, a skill position, tight end, whatever, and immediately contribute. And I understand that temptation, but the Broncos, and I don't envy John Elway in this regard, Zach, they're having to kind of walk the line, walk that razor's edge of prior, you know, where do they prioritize? Competing now, winning now, or building for the long term? Because as we've talked about on this show so many times, picking in the top 10, I mean, for the Denver Broncos in a historical sense, that's a rare thing. And yet that's basically where you need to be if you want to, uh, from a statistical perspective, maximize your odds of getting a franchise quarterback. So the Broncos have to be careful not to, you know, forsake the future for the sake of winning now. It, it definitely is a fine line. You have to decide whether to take a mid-round guy you like, like a Stidham, gamble on a first-round guy like Locke, or hold out next year for Justin Herbert, uh, the year after that for Lawrence. There's so many different variables and scenarios that they can go here. It all comes down to what Elway wants to do and how far he wants to kick the can down the road. He hasn't made a huge draft splash in a while, and I tend to think if he stays put in this draft, in this round one, and goes for a non-quarterback, the next year would be the year. If he likes Justin Herbert as much as he says or as much as he suggests he does. And Chad, you and I talked about it after the combine. We walked away thinking, you know what? I think he likes the 2020 class a lot more than this class. And then today, Rappaport, which we'll talk about, he also hinted at that. So it determines, you know, if he wants to take a a boot to the can, how far down the road does he want to kick it? What I believe right now is that he is genuine with Joe Flacco and he can compete. And they don't need necessarily, like you said, a guy who's going to hold a clipboard instead of an inside linebacker who could start for Vic Fangio right away. So I tend to agree with your line of thinking. Yeah. I'm just curious why Daniel Jones. I mean, is there <laughs> any realm of the possible that the Broncos would really consider taking Daniel Jones anywhere in round one? I mean, even if they traded back, because the odds are he's going to go round one, but how could you get the Broncos, and even at this point in their evaluation, you, you, they've seen the film. And they've talked to him probably at least somewhere along the way, maybe not at the Combine, or at least publicly it wasn't reported that they met with any of the big four at the Combine, but somewhere along the way they've crossed paths with Daniel Jones. And then there's all the film evaluation and all the other work that the scouts do to dig up information on these prospects. What is the thinking to bring him in and utilize him as one of those 30 allotted visits that that they get each and every year when he's probably going to go round one you know it's it's not going to be the pick for you. And even if the thinking, Zach, was, well, we want to get a chance to talk to him, bring him in here, maybe work him out, scratch and sniff, because who knows, he might be there early in round two. Even if that's the thinking, I don't see Daniel Jones with the needs at quarterback behind the Broncos in the draft, talking about the Redskins, talking about the Dolphins. I don't see him slipping beyond round one. No, and what, what it says to me, though, is that it suggests the Broncos – are leaning toward taking a quarterback in the middle rounds. It's the same reason why they they brought in Will Greer at the combine and not you know the Locks or the Haskins. It's the same reason why they're hosting Clayton Thorson from Northwestern, some late mid round late prospect. One of their visits, yeah. they're not. I think the tea leaves suggest Elway is just doing due diligence. The combination of that and not having interest at ten in going with a gamble like a Drew Lock or a Haskins who might not even be there. So it comes down to how much he likes Locke pretty much. I'm going to assume Haskins is not on the board. But what Daniel Jones, like you said, he's not the right guy for the system. He's a borderline first, second round prospect. Unless they want to trade all the way back in round one and go Daniel Jones, which I would hate. That's my doomsday scenario. I mean, I don't I don't really understand the logic either. But when you combine that with the Greers and the Thorsons and they like you know, the, the Rippins of the world, 
it, it all adds up to the Broncos kind of bypassing the, the quarterbacks and going for a player of need elsewhere. Two things. One, I'll be surprised still if Dwayne Haskins gets past the New York Giants yeah. at six. Like, I'll, I'll literally be shocked. And I understand that the GMs has kind of put it out there, Gettleman, that they still believe in Eli Manning and they feel that's like that's a smokescreen. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty obvious at this point. It's got to be. I mean, he's been – talk about falling off a cliff. I mean, the last two years watching Eli Manning has been painful. About the only game in which he looked good was when they beat the Broncos, I think it was two years ago. Uh, oh, yeah, 2017. Yep, that's right. Uh, Sunday Night Football. The other thing I wanted to say is I'm really curious to see where Will Greer ends up falling in this draft because – you know, talk about hot and cold. You talk to some people like Eric Trickle, who we had on the show yesterday, and, you know, you shouldn't even draft Will Greer. And then you see his pro day. I mean, he knocked it out of the park. People are all of a sudden talking a lot differently. Not Trickle, but the overall buzz and the tropes on on uh, Will Greer around the Internet right now are a lot more favorable. That pro day, I think, Zach, really helped to put him back into the conversation seriously for – Late round one, early day two. Yeah, he has the tools. He's a toolsy guy. I know it's a cliche. He's going to need a lot of work at the next level. He's a big project, and I think he's a bigger, bigger headache than he's than he, you know, the Broncos should take on right now. But to see Greer in a system like the Rams or the Eagles, who need a backup now behind Carson Wentz, a young backup, um, with the right coaching with a Doug Peterson or a Sean McVay, Greer can can be something at the next level. I just don't happen to think that with a, a first-time coordinator and Rich Scangarello, a first-time head coach, uh, this all this overturn in the locker room, I don't think that's the right guy to you know hitch your wagon to. If they're going to go with a prospect, a middling prospect, yeah. it needs to be a more well-rounded guy like a, a Ripian or a Stidham uh, than gambling on a guy like like Greer, who's you know has the physical tools, but mentally you just don't know. The one thing I really like about Will Greer is he's got uh, cashews, as you like to say. He's a guy <laughs> that is completely unafraid to push the ball down the field. He's very aggressive. That's just his nature. And, you know, talking to him at the combine, looking into those beautiful brown eyes of his, that handsome SOB. I'll talk about a guy that, you know, he's kind of got a weird story, Zach, because here he is, a Heisman Trophy candidate last season, setting the NCAA on fire, Division One football, and yet he's not even the most famous son in his family. His little brothers are like famous social media mavens. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it wouldn't surprise me. Here's my here's my theory on uh, on Greer. It wouldn't surprise me to see him go to the Patriots somewhere mm. where he could, you know, be plugged in behind Brady for a year or two, work with McDaniels, learn from one of the best in the biz and then be unleashed on the NFL when, when Brady decides to hang it up. You know who I see for that role, and I absolutely agree with you that I think the Patriots will go that route. Hmm. But to me, Daniel Jones yeah. is the perfect Josh McDaniels prototype, and I think learning behind Brady. All these developmental quarterbacks in the draft, if they can get with good coaching in the NFL, and the Patriots you know you're getting the best coaching, uh, they can be something. But as a top-heavy class, as day-one starters, it's just not there. Yeah. I'm really interested to see where it shakes out for Will Greer. Let's move on and talk about, just real briefly, that report that you published on Monday from Rappaport, which basically he's just saying that, here's this quote, he appeared on uh, Orange and Blue 760. He said, quote, this is Rappaport, I get the sense the Broncos are intrigued, but kind of lukewarm, uh, more lukewarm than anything. 
he said, close quote, with regard to the 2019 quarterback class, which that's kind of, I mean, the only player it really feels like the Broncos have a sincere interest in, I mean, if you follow what they do, not necessarily what they say, is Drew Locke because you had Elway yeah. travel out to scout him in person at that Arkansas game in which Locke played very, very well in a cold weather game, maybe not super cold, but it was raining. His nine-inch hands were having to hold on to the football <laughs> in a slippery environment. And he had a big day. I mean, a couple of uh, passing touchdowns, and if I recall right, a couple of rushing touchdowns as well. And then there was the Senior Bowl, and even Elway at the owners' meetings the last couple of days joked that, uh, you know, there's – people talking about how he chased Drew Locke around the Senior Bowl in Mobile type thing. But other than him, I don't really see the Broncos, my gut telling me they're really all that enamored with any of the quarterbacks in this class. So I can believe that report from Ian Rappaport. The wild card to me is Kyler Murray because even though it's unlikely he's going to be there at pick 10, I mean, it sounds like the Cardinals are going to take him. And if he slips past the Cardinals – probably go to the New York Giants at six, something like that. But Elway has gone out on a limb a couple of times to talk about Murray at the Combine. He was asked about him directly, talked about two things. One, that he's a very talented player that's got a huge ceiling, and also that his his size is an issue. It's a concern that has to be evaluated. But also talked about the fact that he's a one-year starter. So I do think there might be now this isn't anything i've been told so this is just me speculating okay for those of you listening it wouldn't surprise me if the broncos have a little bit more love for kyler murray than is currently out there right now mm. yeah i mean it's all subjective it's all a matter of opinion i walked away from the combine thinking elway was sincere and that kyler murray is not a fit for the system and i think it shows kind of how pointless these visits are if they're wasting a visit on a guy uh, like a Daniel Jones or a Kyler Murray who they're not going to draft. It's just Elway doing his homework. And I agree with Rapshi to that point. He echoed what Elway said. We're going to bring these guys in. We're going to see what they they can bring to the table, if not for us, for another NFL team maybe in a trade. I still think now, like I said, on March 25th, and all these things reporting in that direction, that Elway is not going to go quarterback in round one. And I think if he takes a guy, it's going to be in the second or third round. We still got a lot to get to on uh, some other interesting topics that have spun out of the owner's meeting, including a update on Jake Butt. But first, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so let's touch on, Zach, a couple of the other tropes that came out of the owners' meetings. Let's talk first and foremost about Joe Ellis' remarks. In fact, there were two topics that spun out of what he had to say down there. And the first is that Brittany Bolin, the daughter of Pat and Annabelle Bolin, is being welcomed back into the organization in a front office role sometime within the next year. Now, we don't know exactly what she's going to be assigned to do or exactly what her role is going to be, but Joe Ellis is talking and showing again publicly what his preference is in terms of who the heir to Pat Bowen is. It's Brittany. And then meanwhile, Zach, you've st- we've still got that lawsuit going uh, from Bill Bolin on behalf of Beth Bolin-Wallace 
in terms of you know trying to break up the trinity the the pat Boland trust which is currently chaired basically and led by team president joe wellis so what were your thoughts on Brittany Boland very publicly now under a lot of scrutiny the the arena of public opinion is very much going to be involved in this situation which is unlike what any of the other kids have dealt with in the past because this is now very much a, a public story what would your thoughts on Brittany Boland coming back to the broncos and being in a in a front office role I think it's a pretty major development. Um, I think she's obviously the front runner for, to one day take the big chair and take over for Pat. Uh, but still, this there's no resolution in sight, Chad. I mean, this is going to be a long, drawn-out process. Lots of lawyers, lots of family squabbling. Um, what we can glean right now, though, is that Joe Ellis does prefer her over Beth, for sure. He's angling in, in whether he wants his preference or not or whether he speaks for the trust. He's angling for Brittany to get that spot. So as of now, uh, she looks like the front runner. Any Broncos fans wondering about who was going to take the team over, it's not going to be ended anytime soon. We talk about this almost every podcast, it seems like, but this is going to drag out for a long time. But as of right now, we can say Brittany is the front runner. Yeah. I still wonder what Beth did to lose her job <laughs> with the Denver Broncos a couple of years back. And obviously that really pissed her off. And, and uh, you know, we can maybe take some – we don't want to cast aspersions on what our motives are necessarily, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's motivating some of her, you know, uh, the last, let's just say, 12 months in real time, her going public, her, you know, publicly doubting the trust and the process and Joe Ellis dragging his heels in regards to – you know, moving this thing forward towards an heir of Pat Bolin. And then, of course, Bill Bolin going out on a limb to actually create a lawsuit on her behalf to challenge the trust. I wonder where the disconnect happened. Like, what what did she have to do? Because you talk about nepotism and obviously the children of rich people and, and uh, you know, especially someone like Pat Bolin in an environment where there is no real succession plan. It's kind of very open-ended you know, she's she had a lot put on her plate. A lot is expected of those type of people. But at the same time, you know, the 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 brats around those type of people kind of look the other way on a lot of things. So, in other words, what I'm getting at is there must have been some real, some kind of real incident there in which the Broncos felt like they were well within their, you know, their their rights as Joe Ellis anyway, operating the team, to cut her off and and dispatch her from the from the front office. We'll never know what that may be, but I was going to say it feels like it's a personal decision on on Ellis's behalf and not a professional one. And even uh, the Joe Ellis Trust a few months ago when this development first happened during the season, he put out a statement that was very um, uh, non-objective. It was very biased. It's, it was geared in, in one way, and it spoke that he doesn't have a lot of trust or personal respect for Beth. It seems like it's Joe Ellis and Brittany versus uh, Bill and Beth. And it seems like it's a split faction there. Yep. There's just no unity. There's no coherence at all. And uh, the more Ellis, I think, drags his feet, the more the worse this has become. And that's what led us to today. I do wonder, last thing I'll say on this topic, and we'll move on, because it's not a very sexy one. It's not very fun to listen to for, for fans, and we understand that. But it is the haps, so we gotta we got to analyze it. But the last thing I'll say is, you know, who knows what kind of relationship Joe Ellis has with Beth Boland's mother of any relationship that ever existed. We do know, however, that Annabelle has 
a, has had a pretty obvious public relationship with the team. She's been, she was at the Super Bowl. She was on the uh, Super Bowl 50 in place of Pat when the trophy was going around. She got a chance to speak and all that. So she and Joe Ellis are very much on friendly terms, which makes me wonder how much that relationship of the current, you know, it being a, one of the kids of the current wife of Pat Bowlen has to do with any kind of possible favoritism in which the trust is viewing this whole succession plan, Brittany versus Beth, who comes from the first marriage of Pat Bowlen. I'm sure there's a lot of in-house fighting, a lot of in-house squabbling. And like I said, uh, it's an issue that's not going to be resolved for a long time and for uh, many legal cases uh, still to come. Let's talk about the other thing that came out of Ellis's remarks. The Broncos are, at least this is what the Denver Post is, is reporting, they could be close to finalizing an agreement for a stadium, uh, for naming rights for the stadium. So we don't know who that potential partner is, but it sounds like, and even Joella said, will we have that before the season? I don't know at this point, but there is a chance it sounds like the Broncos might actually have a stadium sponsor before the regular season kicks off. I'm just happy we'll have hopefully a logo structure set up on the stadium and not a little banner, a little weak banner uh, flapping away in the wind. Yeah, it's been a long time coming and it'll be nice for the Broncos to not play under either a defunct bankrupt company or a a no name uh, stadium. So um, I don't think it's going to happen before the season. But it's good that they're making progress and, and companies out there are still willing to pay the Broncos millions uh, to you know have their name on their stadium. Let's talk about Jake Butt. Now, obviously, we all had some pretty high hopes for Jake Butt, especially last season where he's coming off a rookie year that he had to redshirt as he recovered from that knee injury that he suffered in Michigan's bowl game as a senior. Redshirts in 2017, and he's coming on strong in 2018. He's starting to have a and forge a little role in the offense as you know, he was getting a lot more targets, even as the number two tight end early in the season than Jeff Hireman. And then, of course, he tears his ACL. I think it was a practice, if I recall right. It was a walkthrough. What's well, a walkthrough. That's right. So third major knee injury of his football career, which really just puts his overall future in doubt. Here he is going into his third year as a pro, and he's appeared in, you know, you could count the amount of NFL games he's appeared in on one hand. So it's unfortunate, but he's updating his status uh, recovering from that knee injury, the last one suffered in the first quarter of last season. And then he also talked about the fact, here's a quote from Denver Post article on Monday. He said, quote, Zach, I think everybody knows that we, the Broncos, need to step it up. What's been going on these last couple of years has not been acceptable, and it's the Bron- it's not the Broncos brand of football, close quote, which I think it's cool, and that's one thing I like about Jake Budd is, you know, he came himself. He's obviously very productive and prolific as as an individual, as a player, and he also came from a, a high-flying, you know, Michigan program under Jim Harbaugh in which they were a competitive team, and yet he comes to the next level. Both years he's been with the Broncos, double-digit losses. So he's kind of reeling, but I do like the fact, Zach, that he's, you know, he's still talking very much as if he's a part of this team about – you know, putting himself in the in the conversation in terms of turning the ship around, putting part of that onus on himself. I mean, I wouldn't expect him not to, though. And players with significant injuries, they tend to be optimistic about their their recovering year. I just happen to be among his doubters. And I was, you know, full disclaimer, I was a huge fan of Jake Butt coming out of Michigan. The Broncos, I think, got a steal 
in the fifth round for what his talents were, a second round talent. But three ACL tears, Chad. I mean, that's a lot for someone to overcome. Even if okay. you know it was not on the same knee, this last one. I just don't think he'll have any explosion, any playmaking ability. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised, obviously, you know, if he ends up on pup, IR, maybe right. even released outright if he suffers a setback. I just don't think he'll make a significant contribution. Anything the Broncos get from him out of this year, anything is a bonus. Yeah. It's like Eric said on the show yesterday that if the Broncos, and I think we can pretty much count on at some point in this draft, they'll pro- they'll take another tight end. And you brought up the question, so do they carry four? Because you got two uh-huh. recent picks in Butt and Choi Fumagalli. You got the recently paid Jeff Hireman. And then this whatever rookie ends up coming in from this draft class, do you carry four? What do you do? And if the Broncos decided they didn't want to carry four and, and had to whittle it down to three, I think Jake Butt at this point would have to be the odd man out. Now, here's what he said about his recovery specifically. He said, quote, I can't go. In other words, I can't practice, but I'm getting closer. I'm about five months out right now from the injury, but rehab is going really well. I'm feeling great, and I know the trainers are feeling good about where I'm at. Closed quote. And then here's another thing he said about Joe Flacco coming in, but said, quote, the tight end room is really excited about having Joe. There is going to be some opportunity for us. Closed quote. Which is another thing that we talked about last week when we were discussing the the Jeff Hireman resigning and we had a little bit of a disagreement on what it means in terms of upside and you know our our respective opinions on Joe Flacco or on uh, Jeff Hireman are different. But one thing I think we can both agree on, Zach, is that it's the, the the presence and arrival of Joe Flacco does spell good things for this tight end group because he a he likes throwing to the tight ends. He's he's very that is his security blanket, and he has no compunction about utilizing the middle of the field and challenging defenses that way. So there's going to be some opportunities over the middle and down the seam for these tight ends. Oh, yeah. I cannot disagree with that at all. I, I just think that uh, with this group, there's no sure thing among them. And with this offensive coordinator in Scangarello, who comes from a Kyle Shanahan system that loves tight ends, I would not be surprised if they kept four. That's just not my preference. The only options they would have, though, would be to cut Hireman. And that's one thing, Eric, that um, brought up that I looked into. They would pretty much break even in terms of the cap by cutting Hireman. It was a two-year $4 million deal, pretty much, when you take away the incentives. So that's still on the table. They can cut Jake Butt. They can put Fumagalli on the practice squad. I wouldn't keep four, uh, but in this offense with Flacco and Scangarello, it's going to be tight end heavy, and that does bode well for the rest of the Broncos playmakers like Lindsey and Sutton, more chance, more opportunities. Absolutely, absolutely. So it is really interesting, a lot of untapped potential there, and that includes Jeff Hireman, but you've got three uh, tight ends currently on the roster who represent – third to fifth round pick investments in terms of the draft for the Broncos over the last four seasons. So if health is willing, if the Broncos can, you know, make some sacrifices to the football gods and, and get some uh, blessings in the health department on these tight ends, who knows? The Broncos might actually end up having something there, but I do expect them to to bolster that unit in the draft. Now, we're running out of time, but before we get out of here, we're going to take a couple of quick questions from a Twitter version of the Mile High Mailbag because Zach and I are your football priests, and each and every week we're here to offer you the absolution and the answers to your Burning Broncos questions. And this one comes, Zach, from Sarath Chang on Twitter, at Sarath underscore Chang. He says, what round do you think we'll draft a quarterback in? Now, you touched on this already, Zach, but let's dive in a little bit. I haven't heard anything yet, but I would like Denver to draft Tyree Jackson in the fourth or fifth round. 
Uh, I would not wait that long if they're not going to go quarterback in round one. I would hope round two or three. And if they can get Stidham in round three, I know it's a long shot it sounds like, that's my best case scenario for a non-QB at 10. So I, I would like a guy maybe like uh, Dungey or Jackson, but if we're going to not go QB at 10, I'm still going to go for that second tier, whether that's a Stidham, Rippian, uh, maybe even a Greer. Yeah. But I would not wait that long to the fourth or fifth round. It's still a premium position, and they still have a massive hole for the long term. I like Tyree Jackson, but I only like him as a mid to late round. So if the Broncos did choose to wait till round five and beyond to grab a developmental guy, they could do worse than Tyree Jackson because he's, I mean, his arm talent, he's, he's got a strong arm, and there's some tools there, and he's got great size. I like him, but I liked uh, Eric Dungy a lot better if you're going to take a flyer on a guy late in the draft, but I concur with Zach that I think the Broncos, even if they don't take one at pick 10, they're going to grab a quarterback either in round two or round three. And you're, the number one candidates for that job right now are going to be Brett Rippon, Jarrett Stidham. And I think if you want Stidham, you're going to have to try and get him in the second round, even if it's early. And the Broncos might not be willing to pony up a whatever it is in the top 10 of the second round on Jarrett Stidham. So maybe they explore a trade back or they trade back into round two. But I think when it's all said and done, Stidham's going in round two. Rippon, I think if anyone's going to slip out of that little group, it might be Rippon that that slips a little bit because as Eric talked about on yesterday's show, there's a lot to work with in terms of Brett Rippon, but he very much has, it appears he's already butted up against his ceiling. So you know, you got he's a guy that could probably step in and make a more immediate impact out of the gates for a team who is quarterback desperate than, say, Jarrett Stidham, who might need a little bit more development and time working with coaches. But he's not going to have the same opportunity to grow in terms of his ceiling that a more talented arm like Jarrett Stidham and a more toolsy player like Jarrett Stidham. Now, here's uh, one more question that we'll get out of here, Zach. This comes from a great listener of the show, uh, VIP subscriber at milehighhuddle.com. He says, Jedi Joshua 58 on Twitter, he says, who do you guys think wins the strong safety position opposite mm. of Simmons? Uh, and this is something you actually brought up, Zach, as a topic to discuss possibly today. I love Parks, Joshua says, but DeMonte Thomas may be better in coverage or Jamal Carter. Trey Marshall, Sua maybe? Who do you think, Zach, when it's all said and done, ends up as the number two safety on the field. Obviously, Kareem Jackson factors in as into that equation as well. Let's say this. Who's number two, and when they go big nickel, how did the safety rotation, how does that work out, the top three guys? Yeah, that's it's it's all based on the base defense, which teams are in, increasingly not playing in the NFL anymore, and the Broncos' nickel defense. I think in that grouping, they would have Jackson at safety, and in base, in run situations, they would have Will Parks, who's better in the box. They're really high on him. And they've said it over and over now that they like the group they have. That includes Demonte Thomas. That includes Jamal Carter. Uh, it includes even Sua Cravens. If they can get anything out of him in this defensive scheme as a dimebacker, that's a plus. So I don't think safety is a massive priority. I don't think they're going to go for a safety in the first couple of rounds. I, but if you had to you know, put, put an answer on it right now, Will Parks would be the starter. And in nickel situations, passing situations, to move the corners around the field, I think they would have Jackson's a lot more as a safety than as a corner. Yeah, I think the the biggest beneficiary or the guy with probably the most open road to a starting job in 2019 is Will Parks. And he just had, you know, 
a, he took a quantum leap forward in his third year last season. Just made there's a few games in which he just made some big time plays. Now he's still not as consistent in coverage as you'd like to see from a starter. So the Broncos are going to have to hope he takes another step forward in that department. But I'll tell you what, Zach, Sue Cravens, he's right now he's a glorified linebacker. He's a glorified nickel linebacker. I'm kind of putting him as a similarly to what you said about Jake Butt. If he ends up being something for the Broncos, it's gravy, right? It's icing on a cake. But the guy that I want to see put forward more is DeMonte Thomas. Now, he might yep. project more as a free safety, similarly to Simmons, so he might you know, project more as a backup to Simmons. But we saw in the preseason last year, if you guys could think back, DeMonte Thomas, after Jamal Carter went down, DeMonte Thomas sealed his spot on the 53-man roster by taking out uh, – uh, who was it that they – I can't remember the, the tight end he, he – might have been Vernon Davis now that I think about it. Actually. Yeah, I think it was, yeah. But he lined up one-on-one with the opposing tight end, which is what you see a lot of times from teams in the nickel is they'll put the strong safety oftentimes to line up one-on-one as the kind of matchup safety to cover the opposing pass-catching tight end. And he did a great job in that role. So he's he's not afraid to tackle. He's very dynamic, and it's crazy to say because he was undrafted, but, hey, it happens. Look what what uh, the path of Chris Harris Jr. in the NFL. So mm-hmm. I want to see more, Zach, of DeMonte Thomas. I think there's some real untapped potential there, and this is going to be his third year now with the team. So I want to see him be given a little bit more of an expanded role. But as you hit on it, though, as we are – trying to project what to expect on the back end of this defense. Even the Broncos right now don't know exactly where Kareem Jackson is going to fit in. He's probably going to be a guy that wears many hats for this defense. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And uh, DeMonte Thomas, I remember in that game, if I remember correctly, he was money on third and fourth down. I mean, he just was not surrendering anything. And they can get coaching out of him, like I say, with Vance Joseph. They can get even better production on him with Vic Fangio. But one thing I've noticed with the the secondary, with the inside linebackers, and to an extent the front seven and the Broncos offense, Elway is really relying on the coaching to make chicken salad out of chicken you-know-what. They're relying on that with Munchak on the offensive line, and they're relying on that in the secondary with Ed Donatel and Vic Fangio. So that's why I don't think they're going to go out and fill these holes with new players if they believe the players on the roster they already have yeah. can be successful in those roles. So, yeah, DeMonte Thomas will have a role, but I genuinely believe Will Parks is in line for a starting spot. We all remember the Pittsburgh game last year. That was his coming out party, and I think he carried that momentum and made enough impression on film for Fangio to give him a shot, and I think he will succeed. Yeah, and we look forward. Look, in the podcast, there's going to be a time in the offseason where Zach and I are going to let our hair down a lot more as it regards the current roster, projecting depth charts, breaking down – you know, how we see the 53 shaken out. There is going to come a time where we're going to spend uh, podcast episodes on that topic. But for now, there's still so many moving parts leading up to the draft that we're focusing on what's in front of us. So that a time will come where we're going to dive deeper into those very topics. So stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, that's going to do it for today's episode of the Huddle Up Podcast. You guys, make sure you're following the show on Twitter. It's really easy to do, at Huddle Up Pod. You can find Zach on Twitter, at Kelberman247, myself, at Chad and Jensen. Stay tuned because Building the Broncos will be back on Wednesday with a great episode. I don't know exactly what Nick and Carl have cooking up, but I'm sure it'll be something compelling as it relates to the NFL draft. And I'm sure Nick will talk about his experience at Drew Locke and the Missouri Tigers Pro Day last week. I don't think he's had a chance to podcast yet since he 
went drove down for that. I know he made an appearance on Orange and Blue 760 to talk about it. If you haven't checked that out, go find it. I think you. Uh, I think in fact Orange and Blue tweeted it again on Monday, so you can find that tweet and listen to what Nick had to say. But I'm sure he's going to talk more about it on his own podcast. So stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, for Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.